We are starting a new series today called Life Together. And uh, we just finished David's uh, series that was awesome on the post-Christian antidote. Uh, before that, we were um, antidote, not antidote, antidote. Um, before that, we were uh, in our credo series, and we were going through a lot of the theological boundary conditions for our faith. This sermon series really feels like a continuation of that, and we'll talk about that uh, coming up. But really, where this, this sermon series originated, and a lot of times we're doing expository preaching, and that's awesome, and we really do ground ourselves mostly in that, but occasionally these topical sermons come up. And really, for us, this feels like the time. Prophetically, it feels like the moment that the Lord really wants us to talk about these things. And coming out of the Credo series, we were saying, you know what? We really want to draw boundary conditions, not just in our theology. That's really, really important. Um, But we want to draw boundary conditions in our family, in our church family. We want to make sure that this subculture in our church is healthy and strong. And so we started talking about doing a family series and marriage and parenting and all of that stuff. And we were firmly on our way there. And then um, Alec kind of piped up, as he often does, and brought a little bit different perspective. And he said, well, what about church's family? You know, yes, the nuclear family is so important. And yes, that is something the church should be known for championing uh, for a lot of reasons that we're going to talk about today. Um, But also the church family is beautiful. If you come out of a broken family, if your family is less than perfect, which is pretty much everybody in this room, the church family is this good news. It's this thing that we really need to to lock in on. And so like any good preaching team, we didn't cut anything out. We just added it all together. (laughs) And we started to go, okay, well, how can we talk about both of them? And really what we're going to talk about today, and I'm going to do my best to try to to hit time. But we're going to talk about the intro to the sermon series, talking about family and talking about church family. Because my thesis statement right off the top is this, church family is beautiful and it's wonderful. Nuclear family is beautiful and wonderful, but they are inextricably connected to one another. You can't tear them apart. They are very important. And biblically, there is all sorts of foundation, especially Paul when he's talking about husbands treat your wives like this, wives treat your husbands like this. And then he will jump into, especially in Titus, he'll jump right into uh, spiritual realities. He'll talk about uh, the, the, like what you're supposed to do as an elder or uh, an overseer. And then he'll talk about family dynamic. And so there seems to be this connection biblically between family and church and church and family that is incredibly important. And my thesis statement is this, the health of your marriage, if you're married, or your future marriage, is not just between you and your spouse and your kids, it affects everyone here in this room. It is vitally important. It's vitally important. And as I was praying and I was looking into, uh, did I bring my sermon notes? Oh yeah, these are, okay, good. That that would've been a problem. But it just shot from the hip. Uh, No, no, no. Uh, When I was praying about it today, I was like, okay, how do, I, how do I kind of sum this up? And um, downstairs when we were talking before, uh, Faith, who's one of the pastors on our team, she said, um, she said you know, the Lord really uh, has been speaking to me lately about the book of Nehemiah. And she said, I got a prophetic word from somebody in my ministry that said, we have to rebuild the, the stones in the wall. And I said, that is so funny because the one thing that I could think of when it came to this sermon series and how to sum it up was the book of Nehemiah and rebuilding the walls. 
So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you don't know where that is, just go to Psalms and turn left, past Job, uh, and then you'll pass Esther and then you'll get there. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. Oh, shoot, I overshot it. Um, Nehemiah chapter 4. So the book of Nehemiah, just to set the table, uh, he is a man that has a call from the Lord to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He loves Jerusalem. He loves his hometown. It's a place where God has moved in the past. And he is deeply, deeply grieved that there is a disrepair situation that's happening in Jerusalem. And the first thing that he does when he goes back, he's like, I know the first thing that we really need to do is rebuild these walls. Once we rebuild the walls, then we could start rebuilding what's on the inside of those walls. But we have to shore them up. And as he's rebuilding the walls, the enemies start coming. There's enemies inside the camp. There's enemies outside the camp, and they're coming. And in Nehemiah, it says that he's building the wall with one hand, and he has a sword in the other hand. Like this image of he knows what he's called to do, but he also has to fight people off. And as he's activating people in this, it's not just Nehemiah. He's got a whole group of people that are there. He says this, starting in verse 13. And I'm reading out of the NIV. 90% of the time I read it at ESV, but just throwing all of you a curve, sorry. Um, Nehemiah chapter four, starting in verse 13. Therefore I stationed some, wow, I'll learn to talk at some point in my life. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest parts of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, the enemies that are on the outside. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When the enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. So how did God frustrate it? By placing families at the wall, and he told the people, fight for your families. Shore up the wall and fight for your families. I believe we are in a season of rebuilding our walls. I believe that this is a season where we need to rebuild our walls. The heart behind the Credo series was really that, like what theological ideas are floating around that we need to say, hey, that is not us. We can argue about this, no problem. You're a, you know, amillennial dispensationalist. Okay, that's fine. We can have conversation about that. But if you don't believe in the Trinity, we have a problem. We have to know where those boundary conditions are. We have to understand them. Then if you missed that series, please go back and check that out. But along with that, we have to draw boundary conditions in our lives personally. And that's what this sermon series is about, drawing some lines around our church. And if we have strong families, we're going to have a stronger church. And if we have a stronger church, we're going to have stronger families. Like these are inextricably connected to one another. But I think as I've been looking back at the last, you know, 20 plus years, I I got saved uh, in the mid-90s. I started leading pretty soon after that with uh, Young Life and Uh, Then I started leading with YWAM overseas, and so I got activated into church leadership at a pretty young age. Um, And in the 90s, there was this movement that was going on, and especially in the 90s and early 2000s, it was a seeker-sensitive movement, and it was the missional movement, 
which in a lot of ways seemed like they were in competition with each other, but now as I've come to, to realize, they were kind of the two sides of the same coin. It was this idea that what's going on in the church, we're not called to just be a holy huddle. They would say things like that, and I would say things like that. And we're called to be on the outside of the church, and we got to go serve the community. we got to be in the darkness, and that is all true. Missions is important. Fighting against the darkness, like David was talking about, is vitally important. Missions is vitally important. All of those are deeply rooted in the heart of this church. But as I've come to to look back on that season, when you look at the fruit of it, we went out into the dark places, but we didn't see our kids stick around the church. And we lost a big portion of the next generation. And I don't think these ideas are in competition with each other, but we need both. We need healthy church. We need really healthy church, really healthy subculture that our kids come and they go, wow, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that leader. Really healthy subculture where we know what we're about, where we know what we believe, and out of that strength, then we go fight the darkness. Out of that strength, we see the next generation rise to push back against the darkness that we're seeing. So I think we're in a season of rebuilding our walls. And I think marriage and family is at the epicenter of that battle in our culture right now. Psychology Today says that if a person grows up with divorced parents, that person is nearly 70% more likely to experience divorce themselves. According to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2000, the year 2000, uh, 48% of Americans lived in a home with two married parents. Ten years later, it was down to 44%. By 2020, it was down to 40%. And I haven't seen recent stats, but I'm sure it's moving in the same direction. Less and less people are growing up with stable homes. And we have a lot of waves coming our way, right? Like we have a lot of storms coming in our culture right now. It's not news to anybody. I don't think anyone in this room is like, what, Ryan? That's weird. I thought everything was great. Um, I know we all feel it. Um, Some of us, maybe you're feeling in the spirit like, hey, something's shifted. Something's changed. I don't know what's going on. But we don't control the waves, but we can control something else. When I was in uh, elementary school and junior high, I was in Boy Scouts. I started out in Cub Scouts. I was like really early on. Started out in Cub Scouts, moved on to Boy Scouts, um, learned survival training. It's so funny. I think about it. I'm like, the survival training I went through right now would be completely illegal now. Like my, my leaders would all be arrested for child abuse, I think, if they knew what happened. I was grateful for it. Like I know how to live in the wilderness. Like I know how to cook a, cook a little chicken in a coffee can, you know, like stuff like that. Uh, I think it's important. Um, but as I was going on with, uh, with Boy Scouts, uh, at some point I realized in junior high that it was really not cool. And I didn't really understand that until junior high. Uh, and I remember a group of kids found out I was in Boy Scouts, and they're like, what? You're in Boy Scouts? And I immediately went home to my mom. I was like, I need to leave Boy Scouts. Like, this is done, you know. One of those kids may or may not ha- uh, have been Blake Romeo, who is going to be my future wife. Um, I, won't, I won't say. Um, but, um, but in Boy Scouts, I, I went to a camp in uh, San Diego, and they taught us how to sail. And in the sailing you know, uh, camp, they, they put two of us in a boat, and they taught us about you know, the, 
the port side and the starboard side and the, the aft and the, you know, all this stuff. I've forgotten 90% of it. I, those are like the three words I remember. Um, but I do remember this. We were in this bay where we were going around and around, and there were big boats that were going through there. And they said, if a big boat com- comes through, obviously don't be in the way of the big boat, um, but it will create big waves, And they said the principle is the same if a storm is coming or anything, but if big waves start coming at you, don't panic and try to turn your boat around. Because by the time you start turning your boat around, you'll be like this, the wave will hit you like this, and that's the worst place that you could be. They said the best thing that you could do is to head straight into that wave. Just hit that wave straight on, and you will be the most stable if you do that. I think our boat right now is family. I think we have church family and we have family. And we don't control the waves. There's a lot of waves that are coming. Uh, There's a lot of waves that have already hit us. We don't control the waves, but we can steer our ship, right? We can steer our ship. And we have to steer it into the wave. My mom is a a counselor. She got her master's degree in counseling, and she, she works mostly with kids in Tucson and and uh, they, were, they were up from Tucson last night uh, for my birthday, which is tomorrow, actually. Um, and uh, she was up hanging out, and, um, and uh, we were talking a little bit about what's going on. And she goes, and, and if you're in, in the public school system right now, God bless you. There's a lot that's going on. And she's still in the public school system. And she said she had a kid that came to her and said, you know, I'm, I'm feeling very confused about, you know, my gender or sexuality. It was something along those lines. She wasn't real specific. She said, I was feeling very confused. And, and, uh, and this kid uh, was, was talking to my mom, and my mom said, have you talked to your parents about this? You know, are you, you're feeling confused. And, uh, and she said, yeah, I, I did talk to my parents. I talked to my dad. And he just kind of said, ah, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. We all get confused when we're, when we're young, you know, and and just kind of moved on, like he didn't want to really talk about it. And my mom said, well, how did that help you? And she said, not at all. It didn't help me whatsoever. And I think this is a good, I mean, this is a moment for us as parents, as family, even if you don't have kids in this room, there are kids in this church, and we're going to talk about that. The next generation needs us to hit the waves head on. We can't be passive. We can't try to turn the boat around. We have to hit things head on. We have to help people that are confused. Because right now, our culture is trying to redefine what a family is. I wrote this down. The world, is, the world says that all you need is yourself and your ideological tribe. You are powerful, beautiful, and brave. And if you live your truth, uh, if you live your truth, sorry, I messed up my own words. Jeez Louise. <laughs> The world says there is no family norm or family structure. They say your family is only valuable if they affirm every one of our emotional whims, even if they're delusional. If our current family doesn't do this, then ditch them and find your real family, your ideological tribe, a tribe that will always affirm you even when your beliefs cause you and those around you harm. This is a very concerted effort to redefine not just marriage, but family itself. And this is what we're up against. And we could put our head in the sand or we could hope it goes away, but I think we need to hit these waves head on for the sake of the next generation. We have to. We have to. This is the calling of this generation that's alive right now. God says this about marriage. This is in stark contrast. 
Marriage is the closest reflection of God's relationship with his people. Ephesians 4 says this. He's saying wives do this, husbands do this. He's talking about family structure, which is important and valuable and against our cultural norms right now. And he says the mystery is this, is this relationship between man and wife, it represents the relationship between Christ and the church. Marriage is a covenant that is so much deeper than if you just really love somebody and you want to spend the rest of your life together, then get married. It is far deeper than that. There's a spiritual reality and responsibility for those who are married to walk out. Marriage uh, marriage uh, is the yeah, closest reflection of God's relationship with his people. Understanding men and women gives us a view of God himself. In Genesis, it says God created men and women. Uh, he created them, man and woman, and it's good. It's very good. There is something about men and women and the connection between men and women that creates this wider picture and understanding of the character of God. How we raise our kids matters. In Ephesians, Paul is very practical. In Ephesians chapter 6, he's like, pour into your kids. Raise them upright. He's going, dads, don't discourage your kids. Be an encouragement to them. You know, like he's giving these parameters on parenting. Why? Because they're important. They're vitally important. Being single is a gift and can be used to glorify God. This is something that we don't say very often in church, especially in a series like this. We're like, we have to say that. I know there's some GCU students in the room. Some of you are single. I get it. You really want to be married. But let me remind you that you are in a very beautiful spot. In the New Testament paradigm, Paul says, being single is actually a gift because you could devote yourself fully to the Lord. You can make impact in a deeper way than any of us that are married, which is an, an amazing, mystical, beautiful thing. So if it's a gift of yours to be single, then take it for all it's worth. Because the next thing is, is being married with a family means you have to consider them as well as your ministry. There's a lot of broken glass behind ministers who do not understand this, who put ministry ahead of their family. And that is not a biblical standard or a biblical norm. Paul, when he says, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the qualifications for an elder or an overseer is that your home is in order. Why does he say that? Because your home needs to take priority in your ministry. If your home is not in order and you're looking to skip over your family and minister to those on the outside, I think we've reaped the, the repercussions of that and we've seen a generation that has hurt a lot of kids with that perspective. So family has to come first. Family is so vitally important. We have to minister to our family first. Because if we do, it doesn't just make our family good and strong. It makes our church strong too. It's not just you and your family. It's us in this room. If we're building our walls back, if we've got families holding the spaces that they need to hold, if we have families that are really taking the call of God to minister to their own kids and then to serve in the church, we are watching each other's back as well. Statistically, 20% of marriages in the church are struggling. And I, I know statistically there are marriages struggling in this room. And let me encourage you to keep going. Keep showing up at the table. Go get counseling. Go do what you need to do to be strengthened because it's not just you. It's your kids, 
And it's not just you and your kids, but it's us too. It affects the entire thing. Why can I say that? I was uh, interacting with an organization. There's a guy named Eddie who used to be on staff with us. He's a great guy. Um, he moved to, to Florida. He might actually be watching. Hey, Eddie, how's it going? Mm. But he started joining this ministry uh, that is going after marriages for the sake of evangelism. But you're like, what? Why would you do that? Like, shouldn't you just go and evangelize people? And some people are called to do that. Absolutely. There are a lot of different ways to do that. Just plow into the darkness. Some of us are wired to do that. Great. Some of us need to push ourselves to do that more. Great. But there's one glaring thing in our culture that we miss. And a strong family creates strong Christian kids that don't need to be evangelized right? Like you could stem the tide a little bit by shoring that up. So in America right now, if you're under the age of 30, chances are uh, you grew up in a broken home. Uh, Less than 50% of adults under the age of 30 grew up in a home with two married parents. But this is a little bit of a a brain bender, but just follow me on this one. 80% of Sunday churchgoers that are from the ages of 25 to 29, which is a big chunk of you in here, They grew up in a stable married home. So 80% of young people that are coming to church came from a stable home. If those homes were unstable, a lot less of them would show up. Parents, the best thing that we can do for the next generation is to disciple our kids. Couples in this room that don't have kids, the best thing that you could do is volunteer in children's or youth ministry and disciple the next generation. It will change things, I promise you. This is the way that we could push back. This is the the ship that we could sail in the waves that are hitting us. There's some interesting stats in this book. I don't know if you guys know Nancy Piercy. She's an excellent author, um, very clear thinker. She comes out of the university, very sort of sort of uh, academic in the way that she thinks. So if that's your, your vibe, great, awesome. Um, but this book that she wrote is called The Toxic War on Masculinity, which is a little bit different than what the world is saying right now. And she was talking about the statistics. There's a lot of st- statistics that are thrown around that say the divorce rate in the church is exactly the same or pretty comparable to the divorce rate outside of the church. The rate of abuse inside of the church is pretty comparable to the rate of abuse outside of the church. And she said that is true unless you look at who the Christian, Christian people are that you're talking about. In particular, she talked about Christian men. She said this, there's two groups of Christian men that you should look at. One is a nominal Christian man who says, yeah, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't really go to church. Maybe I go on Christmas and Easter, and that's about all I know. They don't know much about, uh, 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 they're not very dedicated to the church. That group of people is actually more likely to divorce and more likely to abuse than people who don't call themselves Christian. It's pretty wild when you look at it. The other group of men, this is what she said, is different. She says, one of them consists of men who are religiously devout, defined as those who attend church at least three times a month. Coming to church matters. These men shatter the negative stereotypes. They are more loving to their wives and more emotionally engaged in their children, more emotionally engaged with their children than any other group in America. 
They are the least likely to divorce, and they have the lowest levels of domestic abuse and violence. What she's saying is the divorce rate in the church is only the same as outside of the church if you don't separate serious Christians from non-serious Christians. This is a season where we have to be serious. We really do. We have to be serious. It's funny, my kids, they're, they're teenagers, and, and my, uh, my daughter, she's really funny. She, my daughter, Adam, just loves when things are like the same all the time. She loves consistency. And uh, we grew up with them as little kids, and we'd pray before you know, bed every night. And we, uh, it may seem like, hey, we're pastors in a church and leaders here. We didn't do anything real fancy. It was like very much like, you know, bless them. We'd remember a couple of people in prayer, and we did the best we could to do it every single night. That was all we could do. And I, I think back, and I'm like, I was very imperfect. I was very all this, you know. The other night, we, we were really busy. I was doing a bunch of yard work, and I was exhausted. And my kids are teenagers. They stay up now later than we do, which is kind of weird for us, but that's fine. It's the season of life we're in. And so I was like, good night, kids. I'm going to bed. Daddy's very tired, you know. And I went to bed, and I laid down, and Adam came in. She's like, aren't you going to pray for us? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I will go pray for you. And I did a very tired you know, very half-hearted prayer, but it checked the box where she's like, yes, good, good, good. These are things that, again, we don't do it perfectly all the time. That's not what the, the, the goal is. The goal is just to do it, to do, do the best you can. This is all I got. I'm going to bring my two-minute prayer with you guys, but I'm going to build a culture of prayer, a culture of ministry in my home, the best that I can do. And I have bad days, and I have good days, and all of that. But kids know when you value something and when you don't value something. Kids know when you don't really value prayer or you don't really value church. It's very important. We have to live that out. And so coming to church matters. I think it's interesting that she said part of that is coming to church three times a month. I get it. I get life is busy. And a lot of you are like, three times a month? Ryan, that's crazy. I get it. It's important, though. It's important. We were even saying as a teaching team, and I'm just going to say it. I was like, I, I think we just need to tell the church, it's really important, especially in this season, try to come every week. We're going to be building things on each other. So you're going to hear things next week that are built on things that I'm talking about this week. And if you miss one, you're going to miss something. We're building on something here. So please, if you could come, come consistently. It's very, very important. And it really matters, especially if you're a parent, if you come more often. So church affects our family. Family affects our church. These things are connected. So a strong family creates a strong church. And a strong church creates a strong family. They are linked together. They are vitally, vitally important. But that brings the pressing question, which is, what is church then? What is, the, what is a healthy church look like? Let me tell you what it doesn't look like first so we could just get this out of, out of the way. And I'll just get my, uh, you know, if you've got a high-level offensive meter, I'm so sorry. Like, I'll, you could email me later. That's fine. Ryan at Living Streams, if you don't like what I'm saying, no problem. Church is not a social club. Church is not a social club. Yes, we get to socialize. Yes, we get to be with each other. That's beautiful. That is not the ends. It's the means to getting to the real crux of the matter, which is being real devoted to one another and experiencing Jesus in our lives. I'm going to explain what the church is in just a minute. I almost did it too soon. So church is not a so social club. 
Church is not a place that meets your needs. I think we've come out of a long season of kind of consumer-driven church where you come and you get everything taken care of. As church leaders, we do our best to provide counseling and leadership. And if you're in a really broken place, yes, 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 we would love to help you. But the, the goal of church is not to create consumers. The goal of church is to create strong believers that are generous with their life, that come to church not trying to figure out what they can get, but trying to figure out what they can give to others. This is vitally important. And then I think church is not a perfect place. Church is not a perfect place. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he wrote a book called Life Together. It's an excellent book. Uh, I would recommend it. It was really kind of the, if you'd notice, the name of our sermon series and the name of that book are kind of connected to one another. Life Together, it's a beautiful book. Um, But Bonhoeffer, obviously being a church leader in the rise of Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany, his life is incredibly interesting. Uh, He was very much a guy who was fighting and fighting and fighting to help retain Christian community. And he said this, he said a lot of things about people that come to church with an expectation of perfection. And at the end of this tirade, he says this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. I'll just tell you right now, living streams will let you down. I've been here 10 years, and it's let me down sometimes. Your life group, you show up to it, maybe the vibe is off one Sunday. I'm so sorry. Like, that's just, it happens. Maybe you're a part of a life group, and you go through something really painful, and you're like, I thought people were going to be there for me, and it didn't meet my expectation. I am so sorry. That's going to happen. We're going to let each other down. We're going to be really imperfect. That's going to happen. But let me tell you, in 10 years at Living Streams, I've been hurt by this place a lot. By, I say this place, by people in this place a lot. And guess what? I'm grateful for all of them. I might not have been grateful in the moment, but I'm grateful now. I'm grateful for all the times this community has blessed me too. I'm so grateful for all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. It has all served to push me to become more and more like Jesus in my life. This is the call of the church. We are imperfect, but this is a beautiful, beautiful place. Here's a few things the Bible says about the church. If you want to dive deeper, read Colossians 3. I think it's beautiful. Um, and First uh, Corinthians 12 and actually Romans 12 too. There's all sorts of really great places. But, for, but Colossians 3 says this. The church is a place of humility, compassion, grace, unity, peace, and love. Like Paul just spits out all of these words. He's going like, just take all of these words and add them together. And this is what the church should look like. It's a a place saturated in worship and filled with the word of God. This has to be a big part of what we do. It's a place that glorifies Jesus and is filled with Holy Spirit power. Beware of people that are leading you into the church and deny the power. David was talking about that last week. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to lean on the power of our leaders or articulate people. We want to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is a place filled with diverse giftings and clear structure. 
Our, our culture hates clear structure. I get it. Our culture hates leaders. Our culture, our culture hates it because they've seen it gone wrong. But I'm telling you, there's something in, in, in the biblical view of church, and we're going to be talking about it in the coming weeks. Structure is a good thing. Leadership is a good thing. And there is a clear space for you and for me and for the person next to you in the church. There goes my water bottle. Where was I at? What was I talking about? Okay, last one. It's a place of challenging and loving accountability. When Galatians wraps up, we did a Galatians series a few months back. And at the end, Paul says, look, he talks about the works of the flesh. He's going, look, the works of the flesh are evident. And he names them. And he's very clear with them. And in our kind of contemporary sensitivities, it was like, whoa, dang, sexual immorality? Paul, are you going there? And he lists all these things. And then afterward, he says this. He said, so if anyone in your community is caught in sin, lovingly restore them back to the community with fear and trembling, knowing that I could get pulled into that same sin. And with that is beautiful. There's grace, there's love, there's compassion, but there's clarity too. There There is sin to be caught in. And Paul's going, no, there is a thing called sin and we have to restore one another, but do it lovingly. It's the beauty of the church. So family and church, these things are connected. And I think for me, it was really poignant. Uh, I went to men's retreat. How many of you guys went to men's retreat? Yeah. We had 450 guys. It was wild. It was awesome. We actually had 150 from Living Stream. So women, register for that conference. See if you could beat the men in that one. Um, But uh, we were at men's retreat, and... um, and my son, Toby, he's, he's a teenager, and uh, he very much acts like a teenager, and it's like, okay, we got good days, bad days. Like anybody else that's raising teenagers, I, I know you, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm up against. And, uh, but my son, he was volunteering at Men's Retreat, and he was doing kitchen duty and some of that stuff. And so him and I were driving home, and, uh, and he, he started talking about ministry, and he started talking about churches and communities that need churches and and um, he started just going off about like, gosh, we need more churches in this place. We need more churches in that place. I was like, amen. That's, that's totally right, Toby. You have that like out-of-body experience as a parent. You're like, I, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to like ruin this like awesome thing that's going on. Um, and I had a moment. I don't know how else to explain it. Um, and my, my, I'm I'm my, my son's father, and I know my role, and I know all of that, and he's going to have good days and bad days and all that. But for a moment, Toby and I weren't father and son. We were brothers. For a moment, we were on the same level going, gosh, people need to hear about Jesus, don't they? And this is what we're called to do. At some point, parents, at some point, grandparents, our job is to release the next generation into ministry. And God doesn't have any grandkids. We say goofy stuff like that all the time, but it's true. Our job is to create fully formed disciples in our family the the best that we can and to release them into the world. This is our calling. And I have to tell you, if you come from a broken family, If you yourself are divorced, let me tell you, this is not bad news. There is good news because Jesus 
can call you into ministry that you feel woefully inadequate to do. I think there's, it's easy to say, hey, if you've gone through divorce, you should minister to other people who've gone through divorce. I think that's really, really true. But I was thinking about it this morning, and I, I really felt like it was a word from the Lord, for maybe even for someone in this room, that if you've gone through divorce, you can minister to married people too. <laughs> you can remind us, hey, this is really painful. And you may understand what's at stake maybe more than those of us who have stayed married. Nothing is wasted with the Lord. Nothing is wasted with the Lord. And so if you're in that 20% in this room where you're like, my, 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 my family is struggling, I would just encourage you, go get counseling. Go fight for your marriage. Go fight for your families, like it said in Nehemiah. Because we need you at the walls. We need everybody to be manning the walls in this season. And families are vitally important in that. Let's take a, take a minute with the Lord, you and the Lord. Sift some of this stuff out. We're gonna take communion right after this, but just you and the Lord, have a conversation. Where are you at? Where are you at with your family? Where are you at with ministry? Where are you at with raising the bar in leading your home? in a way that glorifies Jesus. Let's take a minute.